You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show. A lovely bright start to the week here in TW11. It's Monday, July the 17th, and it was a pretty bright finish here in the UK to last week with the performances of Shaquille, brilliant in the July Cup, and City of Troy, monster for Aidan O'Brien and Ryan Moore in the superlative stakes. Is there a better two-year-old in training? Probably not. If he's the best two-year-old Colt, the best two-year-old Philly might be Ramatuel. What links the two of them? They're by the same stallion. Ramatuel's trainer, Christopher Head, joins me to reflect on her victory in yesterday's pre-Robert Papin at Chantilly. Also in today's show, William Muir gives a positive update on Pile Driver as we're 10 days out for the King George. Peter Burrell is no longer Frankie de Tori's agent. They've split halfway through the year and his commercial manager for over 30 years joins me later to explain why. Further afield, there will be no more Golden Gate fields. The Northern California stronghold is to close, according to First Racing, its owners, with the equine population melded into that currently at Santa Anita. More of that uh, later on in the week. Chad Brown was the man who saddled the 1-2 in the first of the grade 1s at Saratoga this season, as White Beam, the ex-Roger and Harry Charlton trainee, got the better of in Italian and the Hong Kong star romantic warrior is bound according to his trainer Danny Shum for the Turnbull stakes en route to the Cox Plate in Australia. We'll also have news on the Racing Academy in Ireland and its future later in the programme as I welcome in Lydia Hislop. Uh, Lydia let's start with the July Cup and a superb performance from Shaquille. Well done to Julie Camacho and her husband, Steve Brown, who trained this horse, and also to owner Martin Hughes, from whom we heard on the podcast last week. Ross Orion uh, deputising for, well, I'm not quite sure who. It might be his ride in perpetuity now, but it was a wonderful performance, uh, come what may. Yeah, and the, the joke is, or the running joke is now, imagine what he would be like if he managed to race more professionally from start to finish. He does have some stalls issues. He showed them again on Saturday, rearing at the start and being slowly away. And then he, he started to pull really hard and, and over-race. And there was a, a move um, a, a, a sort of early on, um, approaching four furlongs out and uh, Russell Ryan basically pulled him out because he was climbing over the back of horses he didn't he said afterwards they didn't really have full control over him so he took him to the front and the rapid headway that he made at that point made you think well okay he's cooked um but in the end he wasn't uh, he led um just past the three furlong marker and he just kept pouring it on and in the end he was uh, a length and a half half clear um it was great to see the three-year-olds take on the older horses in the July Cup. We were speaking last week about how that's what the July Cup should do. And he was dominant in the end. Ground seems to, he seemed to be indifferent to ground. I mean, he's coped with very fast ground at Royal Ascot and now this was ground. It's on the slow side. He's also dealt with with ground that was a, a bit more testing than that as well. But the issues remain 
the stalls. And so afterwards, Judy Camacho and Steve Brown were talking about how they used Gary Witherford and his team to help with the horse's stalls behaviour. He did refuse to enter the stalls um, at the All Weather Championships. They used they used the blanket to help him go in there so that he's not he doesn't feel uncomfortable against the infrastructure of the stalls. And Steve Brown was wondering out loud whether actually now he might have developed an aversion to that once he's inside the stalls. So it'll be over to Gary Witherford and his team to to work out how they can help Shaquille with with his uh, with his attitude toward towards the stalls. And it sounded as though the Sprint Cup at Haydock remains the next target for the horse, rather than them being tempted to drop down to five for the Nunthorpe at York. And you can understand that with his starts being as they are as yeah. they are currently. It's a shame, really, because I think he's got easily the pace for the for the Nunthorpe, and he'd add add so much to it. I can understand why they don't want to do that this year, however, given everything you've just said. The Morris de Geest at Deauville was thrown in the mix as well a, a few hours after I heard by by Julie Camacho. So if- I can see that working too. I, uh, and they were and they were they mentioned maybe the Nunthorpe next year, although you know the conversations about whether the horse stays in training at four haven't yet been yeah. had. I think they're just you know everybody's just enjoying this horse, who is a tremendous talent, and it's just it's just great to see him cutting a swathe. Um, through the sprinters so far this year he could be a proper monster next year as well if he keeps filling that frame and and he starts to grow up mentally uh, Shaquille all power to Julie Camacho and her team and well done to owner Martin Hughes from whom we heard on the podcast last week uh, uh, strong claims you'd think uh, for the European champion sprinter title if he keeps going this way I, I said on Saturday Lydia find me a better two-year-old than City of Troy I just <laughs> don't think you will this season no. anyway I thought that was incredibly impressive, incredibly impressive. And we were all watching it together, working on racing TV, weren't we? And it was just the fractions that he was able to sustain. And there's a point where he presses on and you think, oh, they're racing a long way out. And then he just kept going and kept going. And not only did he just keep going, he was hard to pull up again, as he had been on his debut. I I think that is in a handful of the most impressive two-year-old performances I've seen. I don't want to overread this, um, but th- that's how I feel about it. I thought that was an exceptional performance. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you and I both know that for every Frankel in the Royal Lodge, there's a there's a little big bear, you know, who was brilliant last year and and it hasn't really gone on with it uh, as we saw again on on Saturday. But there just seems something so complete about City of Troy and just watching the way he moves, he seems to move differently to most horses. So he, he use himself in a completely different way. Yeah, and I've you know I've I've rarely seen uh, Ryan Moore look quite so enamoured with a horse um, immediately afterwards. The glances exchanged between him and Aidan O'Brien immediately afterwards I felt were significant. The amount of times Aidan O'Brien used the word unusual to describe City of Troy in his post-race interview, uh, it, it's it's just so very exciting about what he could do. Uh, and they were talking about what they would do next. So the national stakes and the Dewhurst are on 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 his dance card this year. Um, I don't know whether they'd be tempted to go abroad with him, but he's you know favourite for the two thousand guineas, and he absolutely should be. I think he's tremendously exciting. And you're right. I mean, you're right to to point out that this is a two year old, and we've seen horses do brilliant things at two year old. I mean, Arasi would be the one, the freakish one that really springs to mind. Um, but some of them go on and there's no reason looking at his pedigree why city of troy shouldn't be one of those 
Indeed, and he's got a nice bit of speed and and the the possibility of running much longer in his pedigree as well. And we saw on Saturday just how hard he hit the line on probably ground that was too soft at seven furlongs. I, I can't get enough of City of Troy. Couldn't get enough of him uh, after the Curra. Can't get enough of him now. And it, as night follows day, there will be plenty of people saying, ah, stop overhyping a horse who's only had two runs. But we're in the hype business up to up to a point. If we think we've seen a good one, then we may as well shout that we think it's a good one. Well, absolutely. I mean, we had this same kind of debate, didn't we, about Bayed um, as a as a three year old when he was progressing through 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 the ranks. But I mean, basically, the clock here tells you that City of Troy is pretty special. And you know, if you if if you need if you need some some facts, that that's where they are. Uh, well, City of Troy wasn't the only progeny of the American Triple Crown winner Justify to excel over the weekend. And of course, Lydia, that will be um, music to the ears of everybody at Coolmore because that is exactly what they've been looking for, the um, the different blood to match on on Galileo Mares, isn't it, that, that, that is really going to, to, to be the, the forefather of the next generation. It could be that, that he's the one, uh, an American Triple Crown winner. Very much so. I mean, you know that that is that is tremendously exciting in terms of him you know, being able to be uh, such a uh, given. Given that he he created his reputation on dirt, to be now actually cutting us, starting to make his imprint on on turf with with City of Troy and now with Ramatuel, it's it, it's very exciting. And um, sires have been a theme for Aidan O'Brien's significant mm. winners so far this season. Justify being one and deep in impact the sire. Um, of Auguste Rodin being another, and just the, it, the 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 idea that there is a sort of next generation, you know, look, looking for for the next generation of dominant stallions, and that seems to be where we're going here, and a story that is developing fast. And Wooden Bassett, of course, who's got I think three of the next four or five top two year olds after after City of Troy. Romatuel, as you mentioned, was a very impressive winner of the Pre Robert Papa at Chantilly yesterday. And uh, I spoke to her trainer, Christopher Head, and this is how excited he was uh, about his filly. I think she's very smart. I mean, physically, she had no problem, no defaults, and uh, and she's a she got a strong mental. Uh, when you get a filly that have that kind of mentality, pretty much an old horse uh, kind of behavior, uh, it's uh, it's just brilliant. She's magic, and uh, I think she's really, really full of speed for that challenge on the morning. And the the extraordinary thing that that seemed to unite her and the the winner at Newmarket on Saturday was that their professionalism that they could just kind of do it all on their on their own almost without without having to get loads of cover or you know, there was no semblance of them pulling hard at any stage. Yeah, exactly. She's been smart. She's been smart all around her her race, and uh, it's been a really. It's. I think Justify has a lot to do with with of course her behavior during the races and uh and i just can't wait to see her at the end of that hat trick pretty much on the morning um between uh in august yeah so the pre-morning at, at deauville next for her do you do you look at her do you watch her race and do you think she is a sprinter through and through or do you think of her maybe uh, as a as a filly who could do better over further next year 
It's the kind of question that a lot of people have been asking, of of course, and uh, I'm not even considering right uh, right now uh, the change of distance, because still we still have uh, a race to go, and it, and we're still into the profile that she has been done for now. So we will keep that for now, and of course after the morning there's still the Chevy Park stakes. So you know uh, we don't need her to to get on further distance for now. And you talk about profile. The profile of, of her co-owner, Tony Parker, is obviously huge. Um, you're a massive sports star in the United States as well. Uh, how much excitement was there around Shanti today? Uh, of course, uh, it was full of excitement. He was here with his family and uh, and he's a, a brilliant sportsman and, and his aura of victory around her is pretty much doing a, a lot uh, for the, the result of the feeling. And uh, it it's really a pleasure to to to, get, to train that filly, and of course, I just hope that I will have the chance to train other Justify in the future because he seems to be a great stallion in the making. Uh, we are hoping to see you at Goodwood. We spoke on the podcast a few weeks ago about Blue Rose Sen. All systems go for the the Nassau Stakes still. Yeah, we're still on schedule for Blue Rose to get it to the Nestle Stakes. And I'm very happy that we will get a, a challenge uh, with Nashua. Uh, it's pretty much going to be a, a very nice fight, I think, to go. What did you make of Nashua's win in the Falmouth Stakes on Friday? It was a beautiful race, a beautiful win. And I'm very happy to, to encounter her on the next race at the beginning of August. All right, that was Christopher Head. He's got some some serious horses in his yard. Uh, Blue Rose Sen, Big Rock, and now Ramatuel as well uh, as a two-year-old. Um, Lydia, perhaps uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But first of all, Blue Rose Sen against um, another winner from yesterday at Shanti. Uh, Henry Candy's Araminta could go to the, the Nassau Stakes, um, as could Nashua, as could Soul Sister, as could any number of horses. But we ought to... Um, tip our hat to 78-year-old Henry Candy. You went for the youngster, 56-year-old Gerald Mosse for the ride on on Araminta in the pre-Chloe at Shanti. That was a lovely story. I was, it was great to see as well. And this filly has been really progressive. She's run a couple of times some big races at, um, at, at Goodwood. She was unraced as a two-year-old. She took a huge step forward in that um, group three at Shanti. Be exciting to see her going to the Nassau. Um, and lo- as you mentioned, loads of potential horses going there. I mean, uh, we've got Nashua who heads there despite having looked so dominant over a mile in the Falmouth. Um, her stable companion, Soul Sister, is also entered after her third last time. And there seem to be indications that they're thinking uh, she's better at short of a mile and a half. A running lion as well, I suppose, is there to get her career back in track. Blue Rose Sen is obviously the real big excitement. Um, but but there's there's others others to think about as well. Warm Heart as well for, for Aidan O'Brien. I can't remember whether George Bowie said Via Sestina might possibly... Um, try the 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 NASA again because certainly she seemed to find the Falmouth Stakes a little bit too sharp, albeit it was also a quick reappearance. She of course would need it to rain at Goodwood in order to be able to take part. I think he I think he said that he that that was still remained an option, but obviously that it would be ground led. I thought it was very interesting listening to to Christopher Head Lydia because he he sort of has said uh, Ramatuel can can lead the defence for France in the pre morning and that Blue Rose said he's so excited about coming to Britain. And he he, he seems to be really on a, on a bit of a one-man mission 
to to put French racing back on the map, which is great to see because he's a you know, young guy from a legendary family with a lot of very good horses in his yard. It's really good. I mean, to 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 hear someone acknowledge that there's a problem there because I think we've been talking about it for a while, haven't we? And the fact that um, France have got a a well remunerated structure of racing, and yet too many of their better races seem to be there for the pillaging if uh the the top trainers from ireland and britain want to head over and take them so i think it's really encouraging what we need is is strong uh internal domestic populations to be able to take each other on then at the highest level when they cross international borders so i think that's great to hear uh ramatuel is heading towards the morning is that right yep, um, um next stop yep um, so that will be be exciting. And as you mentioned earlier, um, another significant horse for Justify. Yeah. And in the pre-morning, might well take on the winner of the July Stakes, Jasur, who was ridden by Jim Crowley for trainer Clive Cox. And many of us were wondering why regular rider Adam Kirby hadn't been aboard Jasur. And Clive Cox explained in an interesting interview with James Byrne in the Racing Post yesterday that his association with Adam Kirby has sort of come to a bit of a a bit of an end and he he cited although slightly obliquely he cited um the the loss of saunas uh, at the race course as, as one of the reasons because adam obviously one of the heavier riders needed the use of a sauna before racing to to draw the correct weight and that clearly has become a, a reason for the fissure between cox and and kirby my word this throws up an awful lot of issues doesn't it it does. It's kind of like still with um, Clive Cox and Adam Kirby first, because they had a, a a great relationship, a great association. They did really well together. They'd be most remembered probably for the brilliant sprinter Harry Angel. Adam won eight Group Ones for uh, Clive, and also a total of three hundred ninety-eight winners um, for him in all. Uh, of course, he his most famous victory came for Charlie Appleby on Adiar in the twenty twenty-one. Um, Derby. He's got an established pre-training business. Uh, he helps Godolphin in, in that way. He's also known for for having a, a natural flair with horses. Um, and the other thing he's known for is for being quite tall. Um, and so weight has clearly become um, a significant issue for him. If we look at 2013 to 2015, he was having more than a thousand rides. By the time we got to 2020, obviously that was a COVID year, it was down to uh, less than half of that and that continued. And It's dwindled a little bit since. 345 rides in Britain in 2022 and only 64 so far this season with five successes. So um, the issue about um, battling with uh, his natural frame has come to the forefront for um, Adam and Adam had been has been talking about that for a while now. He mentioned it at, at Goodwood last year. He's been quite open about it. Um, moving on to the issue of saunas as well. I mean that is a medical issue, and Clive Cox has talked about it being a backward step um, removing them from race courses um, in terms of the health and well-being of jockeys. Now, as I understand it, I don't think that the medical medical profession would be a, a great fan of saunas in terms of it being the way in which an athlete uh, prepares themselves and uh, personally. Uh, whilst I uh, appreciate that on individual jockeys it has had an impact, the sport has to make a decision um, on these kind of things based on, on on medical advice, and that's what they've done. 
the counter argument to that would be that it is safer to sweat closer to the race to get your last pound or two off than it is to sit, lie in a hot bath all morning and then drive to the races in um, a, a, a tracksuit with it with the heating turned up to full volume and then run around the track in 28 degrees in in three layers of clothing. I get that point. I do, I do get that point, Nick. But at the same time, having an something institutionalized within the sport, legitimized within the sport, which the medical profession um, know to be potentially detrimental, that seems to me a very difficult position for the sport to hold. And yes, you're right in terms of you know personal responsibility. Um, you know that there are individuals who are, who are trying to make a living. They need to get X weight, and and they they will get there one way or another. But you know, obviously for individuals, it's difficult, but for the sport, the sport has to make the right decision. Certainly, Lydia, just worth pausing to consider that the King George is only 10 days away. It looks like a good field assembling for that as well. Amongst them, defending champion Pile Driver. So I thought I'd put in a quick call to his co-trainer, William Muir, for uh, an update on how he's getting on. This is what he had to say. Yeah, really good. Um, been absolutely superb since he's run. Um, improved fitness-wise, we're where we want to be now. Yeah, hasn't missed a, hasn't missed a step, so everything's been great. And just reflecting on that Hardwick Stakes, I mean, it looked at the time as though he'd had a hard enough race, but did it did it take him long to recover from it or not? It took him a while, because, but we knew it would because he wasn't, he wasn't 100%, so I knew it would take him a bit longer, but we've had a good time to get over it, so we give him, you know, plenty of time just to recuperate, and now he's absolutely bouncing, absolutely bouncing now and doing everything we could ask of him. What is it, do you think, William, about, I mean, I know he's, he's run some great races, particularly in the Middle East, he was brilliant at York one day, but Ascot does seem to suit him very, very well, doesn't it? What do you think it is about that place that, that, he, that he loves so much? I think of running there more times than anywhere else. <laughs> That's probably just it, isn't I it? Si- I think it's as simple as that. I think you could. I think the track does suit him, but but Epsom, that's totally different. That mm-hmm. suits him. Um, so I think it's just basically down to he's good and and he handles most places. Excellent. Well, we're look we're looking forward to seeing him. Um, is uh, is PJ going to retain the ride? Without doubt. I mean, I said that when I asked him once Martin was injured and when Frankie got off of him for it, which he had to because it was his stable, it was his stable ride. I said, well, if I get somebody else, I want somebody's going to stay with him. And I said to PJ, will you stick with me? He said, definitely. Okay, roll on next Saturday. PJ McDonald and Pile Driver in their defence of the King George. William, thanks so much. Thanks, Nick. Thank you very much. Bye. Okay, so a positive bulletin on Pile Driver could be joined in the King George, Lydia, by Adelaide River, the runner-up in the Grand Prix de Paris on uh on Bastille Day. Uh, also by Hooker Moen Burroughs, very happy with him. They presumably would like the unsettled forecast to continue. Looks like Emily Upjohn will be there as well. I mean, it's shaping up into a decent race, I think. It really is. Westover a possibility as well. Emily Upjohn, certainly John Gosden was giving a, a more positive um update about her like the likelihood of her lining up at Ascot. Interesting that for Maiden O'Brien, I think, um, pushing forward Adelaide River, that does suggest that Auguste Rodin won't be there, Luxembourg won't be there, and it'll be Adelaide River as the number one, essentially, and others uh, alongside. It'd be interesting to see if King of Steel might turn up. I mean... They're, uh, saying, be- they're saying he will now, aren't they? So, I mean, this 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 is shaping up to be a, a, a good race, and let's hope it stays that way. 
news over the weekend broke that Frankie de Torre had parted company with his agent of over 30 years, his commercial manager of over 30 years, uh, Peter Burrell. I caught up with Peter Burrell, who's spoken on this podcast uh, several times before uh, on holiday, and uh, he was kind enough to explain to me the situation as he saw it. Well, basically, Nick, I wasn't really expecting it to be very kind of, you know, a media event. Um, I'm away on a holiday um, with with the family at the moment. And basically, we decided two or three weeks ago to both head into the paths that we need to go in. You know, I'm 60, Frankie's 52, and we just felt the time was right. And I felt it was right, too, as well, for, for me to kind of get some direction of travel on, on my own, you know. I, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, obviously, you guys have had a, a friendship going back a, a long way. Does that sustain? Oh, yeah, a million percent. And um, I'm sure when you speak to Frankie, he would reaffirm that. There's no issues there. It it really is. It's a direction of travel. And I think that, you know, it's, it's a great moment. And um, I think... You know, personally, for me, I can walk forwards into doing, you know, some other stuff. As I said, you know, I've reached the grand old age of uh, 60 with sciatica and a huge tummy. So I think it's, you know, it's it's my time to do other things as well, maybe. So what are you going to do? What are you going to concentrate on? You've got some, some new clients maybe to, to, to push forward with? Yeah, I mean, no, I'll always be in racing, Nick. You know, um, I'm very much into my part-time um, slash exploratory role with the PJA um, closely involved in that with Nick Attenborough who I've known for a very long time um, I took on Billy Lochnane um, during the summer I think the absolute world of him um, and he seems to have a bit of time for an old man so hopefully his career will, will hit the ascendancy um, I've got a tiny manufacturing business I was at Goodwood in the pouring rain while you lot were at the market Festival of Speed, selling my, my gravel rakes, which I invented and made, and they're for big gravel areas, and that's a bit of fun in my life. And I also have a, a business, I'm investing and in, uh, selling uh, casks of single malt whiskey, which is probably more interesting to you and me, Nick. I, I'm interested in the malt whiskey, the gravel rakes, definitely Billy Lochnan and all sorts of other things. You're nothing if not resourceful. I am i don't want to put words in your mouth, Peter, but I'm getting the sense that you, know, you have you have sort of shepherded Frankie through the, the bulk of this career. When he, as and when he does decide to, to retire, he's going to have some sort of big, I'm guessing he's going to want to have some sort of very big commercial media TV sort of deals stacking up and that sort of thing. Is it is it just time for a slightly different style of agency, do you think, to take him on? Is that is that where we're, where we're headed? Yeah, a, a million percent, Nick. I think you know racing and I know racing and I, I'm not blowing my own trumpet while I slightly am, but I don't think many other people could have got round the rigmarole of the racing world with, you know, the panache that was required to have a client where you didn't know where he was going to be until two days beforehand, which so basically any confirmed appearances could never really be on the cards. So we, we had a great run and a great trot. And I think when he has more time on his hands, as you say, a more specialist agency will be will be better for him, you know. So it's almost a case of... I don't, I don't 
Yeah. So as I was going to say, it's almost a case of going inside racing to outside racing and, and the kind of different specialisms yeah. that that requires. Yeah, I think so. You know, um, Ascot have got a wonderful um, day coming on Champions Day, um, which I've been closely involved in um, with uh, the King's representative, uh, Sir Francis Brook, who you will know well, and Nick Smith, the commercial director at Ascot. The stage is set. I, I, I feel I feel I've I've done done my job. You know, the pizza's ready to come out the oven, so to speak. Uh, Peter Burrell, there, Lydia. Quick reaction to that. A funny one, isn't it? Halfway through the year. Yes, yeah, seems seems a, a bit of a shame, uh, particularly. I mean, if you watch the uh, Dottori documentary, which came out in twenty twenty one, I did that again recently. I mean, he's a a figure that's that's dotted throughout uh, that film, and it it just seems a little bit abrupt to have ended things halfway through the year before uh, Frankie has said his final goodbyes to the sport. Um, that, that seems a little unfortunate, really. It's a, it's a, a bit of a shame. OK, Lydia. Well, if, if we are trying to do the best by our um, competitors, by our sportsmen and, and sportswomen in this in this sport, there there has got to be a worry about the news that was um, broken by Mark Costello in the Irish field at the back end of last week, that uh, the Racing Academy in Ireland is in a little bit of doubt that uh, students residing at Ireland's Jockey Training and Education Centre, RACE, were moved to alternative accommodation as Horse Racing Ireland steps in to assess the facility's future role in the industry. Um, apparently, their financial situation has been described as unsustainable. Yikes. That's a worry. Yeah. it's it, This is massively worrying, I think. Um, so they've Close down the residential areas. Uh, for those people who, who don't know the Racing Academy and Centre of Education, it's on the outskirts of Kildare. It's basically the National Academy for the racing industry. It's a bit like the two racing schools in Britain. It's often thought of a, 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 as a jockey um, school, a trainee jockey school, but it, it does more than that. It provides training for all sorts of areas of, of the industry. Um, and it, the report circulating says Mark Costello in his piece that the 20 students who were living at race had been given 24 hours notice to move out due to safety concerns. Now, um, I think this raises several questions. M most immediately, um, the the safety concerns, you know, what what are they? Was it structural? Is it health and safety? Is it safeguarding? Um, and where have these young people gone? Are these 20, 20 students, are any of them under 18? Have they been found safe and vetted accommodation? That's an immediate safeguarding concern, which I, I assume, I hope, um, has, been, has been considered. Now, I know that that year's uh, trainee jockey course had been recently completed. Um, but obviously there are other students on site. They may or may not be under 18, I don't know. Um, and the, there's been questions raised about whether there'll be any sort of residential accommodation available at all in future. And the point is to have a conversation with the um, industry about what race should be doing. If you look at its financial statements, its charitable income has steadily fallen. Um, in at the end of 2020, it was more than 55,000 euros. In at the end of 2021, it was just 6,250 euros. Um, it's received a huge amount of government funding, um, as I understand it, more than a billion since 2020. Um, and I think the question for Ireland is the same as the question in in Britain. Really, if I'm a trustee of the British Racing School, and in order to run its um, work, it receives government funding for apprentice courses. That's apprentice with a capital A, as opposed to what uh, we in racing would would call an apprentice. 
apprentice. Um, so it's a, a, a young person who learns uh, on the job about the work that they would like to do, um, and they receive funding for that. The industry funds the British Race School via the um, levy board and also it has its own charitable fundraising obviously government funding is is subject to the political whims uh that that are going on um within whichever party is in power at the time and what their attitude is towards um uh education and how it should be funded and how it should be structured and i think that, that within the within the race race academy you know neither neither britain's workforce nor Ireland's workforce should be paid for via charity both are multi-million pound or euro industries they should be ensuring that they have a model whereby the people that they uh, need to be able to run the industry are properly trained and that is a sustainable model and I think that both sides of the Irish Sea need to think about that more clearly about how they fund and um, uh, what, and what what they want out of their their training centres, and that that funding should be safeguarded. It should be secure, and the industry should feel a responsibility towards ensuring that its own people are trained. In particular, for race, I think its board have got some questions to answer as to what has happened to get them to this state. Well, last week marked the two-year anniversary of the Youth Collaboration Group. What is that, I hear you ask? Well, it is an incentive started by the British Horse Racing Authority with the idea that those between 14 and 22 can provide input into designing merchandise, critique promotional education videos produced by the sport and create content to share on social media to provide insight into different aspects of racing. And Jasmine Firth has been a part of the group and continues to be and has also just completed the BHA's graduate development scheme and joins me now. Uh, Jasmine, how has this um, increased, enhanced your interest and love of of horse racing? Um, It's definitely increased my love for sports um, and horse racing in particular because I had no idea how much actually went into the industry and went on behind the scenes that people aren't aware of. And the Youth Collaboration Group has allowed me to learn that myself and show it to different audiences, particularly the younger generation, to help them come into the industry as well. So I guess the obvious question is, how did it come uh, on your radar in the first place? Um, It came onto my radar because I went to a careers talk with careers in racing at my university at UCFB. And they showcased how amazing um, careers in racing is and what they do. So I networked with the group, uh, particularly Adam and Sean, um, where they took me to some event days at Ascot and Kempton Racecourse and showed me behind the scenes. So after doing that, I continued to network with Sean and, and asked if there's anything else I could do. Um, when he introduced me to the Youth Collaboration Group, which has honestly changed my life. So I joined that and I have been part of the WhatsApp group, which has around 22 members in. We all just are doing our best to show, showcase the industry and hopefully bring in the next generation. So because you're at, at UCFB, this is a, you've, been doing a, you've been doing a football-based degree effectively, haven't you? Yes, I have. And so have you been able to apply some of what you've learned there to, to horse racing and sort of work out what are the areas horse racing is is deficient in or or strong in, etc.? Yes, 100%. Um, obviously, as being a 
a football student and have worked as a media assistant at some different football clubs. I've de- developed skills in digital marketing and social media in particular. So using that skills I had, I could use that to transfer that into the horse racing industry, especially doing behind the scenes days, which I did on Instagram at Kempton, which is now on a highlight on their Instagram on careers in racing. So it just showcases that like the strengths in the industry and what people don't get to see. So I feel like my skills within media that I've learned in football have definitely transferred onto this different industry. What do you think we could do better? I think just continue to showcase it. I think we need to show more about what everyone's doing, like the trainers, the owners, the jockeys, the horses themselves, so people actually get a feel to what it's like to be in the industry and that it's not just about running a race on a day. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, Now, there is an interesting race amongst uh, heroes of old to enter the uh, Horse Racing Hall of Fame uh, in Newmarket, Uh, uh, and there's a public vote. You can vote for which staying horse you want to, to enter the Hall of Fame. Now, this has provoked significant debate because the Persian Punch, who was a wonderful horse, who was around for years, never won a Group 1, is in amongst um, Lamos and Yates and Stradivarius. And is Ardros in there as well? Uh, yes. Yes. Um, so should Persian Punch be in there or not? Well, this was something that... It was debated by the Hall of Fame uh, panel members and we had a, a, a robust debate. We each had to put forward three horses that we considered should be there um, and argue our case for each of them. And we all heard each other out. And then in the end, we whittled it down to these five Um the Hall of Fame is you've got to you've got to be a good horse. I mean, obviously, no horse that I ever own a, a hair of will ever be in the Hall of Fame. Obviously, you've got to reach a, a certain standard. But there are more things to the, to horse racing than purely your official rating. Otherwise, we could just do it dryly, the Hall of Fame dryly via official ratings for horses, and and I think that would lose a certain essence of it. Persian Punch is such a significant horse for racing in terms of the amount of fans that he won and that he brought to the sport. And I think that that was obvious in terms of the debate that it um, generated on Twitter yesterday. The number of people who, who said that Persian Punch was the reason why they got into horse racing was quite significant, I think. And you know, for that alone, I think he's got to be important. His run style, his bravery, his resilience, his performing at, at a high level for such a long time in his career. I think that's got to be relevant as well. And also, I think on the judges, the panelists' mind, um, well, I know it was, <laughs> was that uh, there should be a range of um, generations as well who would be able to talk about those horses that they, that most touch them. So, hence, we've got quite recently Stradivarius, Yates before him, but also Lamos and Ardross. Um, I mean, an, uh, another sort of point of contention was the fact that Cigaro doesn't make the top five. I mean, because clearly if you were just doing this purely by achievements and ability of stayers, then Cigaro should be in this argument. And he was initially, but he didn't make the short list. That's the short list. It, I mean, I'm sure... 
the Hall of Fame creators will be absolutely delighted. This is exactly what they wanted in exactly. terms of the amount of, the amount of debate and the amount of focus, and the amount of heartfelt um, arguments that are being put forward by fans of these individual horses. I mean, this is exactly what well, is wanted, and we knew it's, it's going to happen with Stayers. It shouldn't even be a debate. Stradivarius should win it by miles. And, and I can't believe how many people were saying, oh, Yates is a much better horse, and all the votes for Yates yesterday. I, I, I just don't buy that argument at all. I really don't. I, I mean, I, 20 wins for Stradivarius, which incidentally is the same as Persian Punch's Hall of Wins. They both won 20 races. So we'll talk about the longevity. I remember hosting the first ever Weatherby's Million press conference. And all anyone was saying was, what a waste of time this is. No horse could ever do that. Even Cigaro, Lamos, Ardros, Yates, all the greats. They never got close to winning this. Mm. <laughs> and he does it twice. Mm. I mean, it's ridiculous what he achieved in terms, yeah. of, in terms of quality, longevity, and body of work and he's a multiple group one winner you know it i just don't even think it's an argument i i mean funnily enough i agree with you. The, the thing that various might weirdly suffer from is an emptiness to recency bias because i agree with you in terms of all the things that he achieved he brings together the kind of lemos ardros argument with the persian punt argument in one horse in that he will have brought loads of people to racing young people to racing because of all of the achievements that you've mm. just listed and yet they are serious achievements all right lydia let's uh, round off with a with a winner for today i don't think we're going to have a stradivarius or a lamos or an ardros or a yates or a, even a persian punch today particularly as i'm tipping in a six furlong sprint so uh, uh right, no not at all extraordinary uh, I know scenes. Uh, Three forty-five at air today. Twelfth um, night. A, a horse that's in very good form currently um, for Ruth Carr um, has been running on faster ground, but is very effective with a bit of cut in the ground as well. I think the race could set up to suit. So it's twelfth night in the three forty-five at air today. Well, um, I'm, this is the bit where I'm supposed to come up with some clever Shakespeare. Um pun but can't think of one off the top of my head so i was I'm so disappointed i'm so disappointed i know i know i know i know i just haven't got time to you know crowbar it in perhaps in the edit maybe i'll just i'll just <laughs> do, some, do something really clever there's the truth yeah uh very good um lydia thank you very much thank you very much for listening we will be back to do it all over again tomorrow You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.